2: He kōna nā pūrangi tēnei nā
3: te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Nā mihi nui and welcome to this hour Changing World podcast from RNZ with me, Alison Balance. Tonight's show is all about volcanoes and specifically about magma and lava. So what's the difference between these two things? They're both molten rock, but the difference is in their location. Magma is trapped underground in the Earth's crust, while lava is magma that's made its way to the surface via a volcanic vent, where it keeps flowing until it cools and hardens. Later in the show, we'll hear about an ambitious plan to drill into the middle of a volcano to reach molten magma. But first, a lava flow in Christchurch. Volcanologist Ben Kennedy says it's been about 6 million years since lava last poured out of a volcano in Christchurch, but now a multidisciplinary team at the University of Canterbury is creating lava on demand in the Lava Lab. The team, led by mechanical engineer Mathieu Cellier, has a Marsden grant to study the fluid dynamics of lava. I went along to their Lava Lab to find out more and get a taste of what it takes to melt rock to create a lava flow. I began by asking Ben and Mathieu what they are hoping to learn.
0: From my perspective, the project is making lava, It's something I've always wanted to do, and here we have the opportunity to do it in a way where we learn something scientifically, and hopefully we become in a position to better predict where lava flows might go in the future. The project eventually is to
2: understand better uh, what's called the rheology of lava. So, that, that is uh, how lava flows basically. So, what we aim to do is comparing experiments uh, done here in, in the lava lab with a computer model, which is sort of my domain of uh, expertise. And uh, from this comparison, uh, eventually be able to say something about how viscous the lava is basically and how, how far it might flow in an eruption.
3: So Aaron, this is a truly multidisciplinary project and I think where we are is your area. So can I get you to explain who you are and where we are?
4: The head of School of Fine Arts and we're actually in the sculpture yard and we had a foundry that was decommissioned but was something that we wanted to bring back up online and we thought that there was an opportunity to see what Ben and his team would produce and how that might start to lead to kind of cross-disciplinary projects with fine art students because for us it's like about materiality so then if we're thinking heating rock, viscousness of rocks, flow of materials then our sculpture students in turn if this is happening within their orbit will start to think about other materials they can use and other people they might be able to work with
3: tell me Ben, what do we know about lava? We know from going and looking at lava in real life that's being spewed out of volcanoes?
0: Yep, so as volcanologists we can watch lava, and we can do that from a helicopter and we can do that with satellites, uh, we can do that with drones or we can stand, you know, a safe distance away and, and look at it that way and from these studies we know that it's very hard to predict where lava will go and we know that The reason for that is that its rheology, the way it flows, is very complicated. It's got bubbles in, it's got crystals in, it's cooling down, so it's changing rapidly during flow.
3: So what you're hoping to do here in the foundry, then, or the lava lab I should call it, is be able to replicate things in a very controlled setting?
0: Yeah, so here we can yeah, we can control the temperature, we can control the cooling rate, and we can make systematic observations by tracking the surface and this is where Mathieu's expertise is going to be really, really useful. So what have we
3: actually got here? Would someone like to describe what's what's in front of us? I'm you
5: Kiesing, I'm a master's student here at UC. And my current project is working on um, analogues for lava flow. So we're looking at room temperature, golden syrup, and some non-Newtonian fluids. That sounds very sticky. It's very sticky. It um, moulds quickly and it gets over everything. It started pulling up the parquet flooring, so I was quite glad when I put that away. Did you get some useful results, though, from the golden syrup trials? Yeah, I'm I'm still analysing the results, but so far what it's showing us is that what we predict mathematically is certainly what's showing up um, experimentally. And now you're
3: about to scale up to this.
5: Yeah, so as part of my PhD project, it'll be to do this with lava. And in a controlled way, so we're setting up a small experiment here where we're going to flow lava down a plate, and then we've got temperature sensors all through the plate so we can track the change in temperature, because viscosity changes with temperature. We can also film it with some very expensive um, thermal imaging cameras. And we can video it, and we can then look at the speed of the flow in different parts of the flow, and we can work out the velocity of the flow and then that allows us to tease out what the viscosity should be underneath. So, Dale, can you talk me
3: through what you've, you've got here?
5: Um, so we've got the metal plate set up. We've got the furnace in the background. The furnace is a gas furnace. We can get to about 1,400 degrees Celsius in the furnace. It takes about four hours to heat up. Into the furnace, we place powdered up scoria, and we can source that locally from Bunnings. We grind that up, and we put it into the crucible inside the furnace... We heat it for about four hours. Uh, once it's nice and uh, liquefied and homogenous through, we can pull it out and then we pour it onto the plate and we acquire all the data as we're flowing it down the plate. So what quantity of rock are you going to deal with? How much do you m- melt at a time? We buy a 10-kilo bag of scoria, but realistically once you've ground it up and it's powderized and then when it melts, we're looking about seven or eight litres.
0: So quickly remind us, Ben, about scoria and what it is. Scoria comes out of a volcano in New Zealand. Basically, it was once magma, and we remelt it and turn it back into magma and then pour it down the plate and it becomes lava. What defines our volcanoes? Why are they different from other volcanoes? So every volcano will have its own chemistry, which will control how sticky the lava flow is. So in volcanology, we talk about how much silica content it has. And the more silica it has, the more sticky it is. So all it means is that we're using scoria from New Zealand volcanoes that have the appropriate silica content to make the appropriate stickiness of our lava flow.
3: So have you already run it, Dale, or are you are about to? Uh, we've been kind of
5: chipping away at this for a couple of years. It's taken a long time to build a furnace that will get to a temperature that will actually melt basalt. We've had to make quite extensive changes to the furnace. It's now got an an airflow injector. We've done some experiments with a V-shaped channel, uh, testing out whether or not we're going to get something that's liquid, how long it's going to stay liquid for, because the temperature of the furnace is just above the transition point for solid to liquid. So we're interested in how long it's going to stay liquid before it freezes. And at the moment, we're getting maybe two or three minutes. We're getting a decent amount of... Lava pouring down the slope before it's, it's frozen at the
0: bottom.
3: Ben, you're holding a couple of bits of rock there. Can you explain me, to me what those are?
0: So this nice shiny bit of lava in front of me, I actually scooped out of a moving lava flow in Hawaii with a spade. So this is a real lava, only a few years old. And this shiny piece of lava with nice Wrinkles, hurry hurry wrinkles on top is a piece I'm very proud of. It's one of our first bits of homemade lava from the lava lab here in in front of you.
3: It's holy, like hokey pokey, like the other one. It's a bit shinier. It looks looks a lot like obsidian.
0: Yes, so um, this shiny black texture is volcanic glass, and when lava cools quickly, it turns from liquid to solid glass um, and if it cools a bit slower like you can see on the inside, not quite so shiny it crystallises, forms lots of small crystals of minerals like olivine and pyroxene and then it gets a bit of a duller black colour
3: and how long did the the fresh one that you scooped from the Hawaiian lava field, how long did that stay molten once it was spat out of the volcano?
0: This one I scooped out with a spade. So it was artificially removed from the lava flow onto my spade and then it cooled down relatively quickly, probably over the space of a few minutes. Um, and because that's about the same size as the one that I've got here, this one also cooled, as Dale was explaining, over a few minutes.
3: Now, Aaron, when you look at that and you see this the shiny molten rock, what does it make you think of? What possibilities do you see?
4: It's interesting hearing um, what Ben's saying about intervening in a, in a lava flow and then the materiality and you know how it, it changes depending on the pore. You can think of a, a number of artists that have done works around intervening in the landscape or directly or utilising materials that shift over time.
3: And Mathieu, as an engineer, what mm-hmm. comes to mind when you look at those two rock
2: samples? Ah, I see lots of beautiful features. What we call the free surface, so the surface exposed to the atmosphere has got some beautiful wrinkles, and those wrinkles are the results of some flow. And when I see that, I think, well, we, we can tell a lot about the flow, about the properties, just by looking at what's happening at the, at the, at the surface. I, f- I find it beautiful aesthetically, but also contains a lot of information, which uh, I hope we'll be able to use. Yeah.
3: Now, we were talking on our way here, Ben, about... Turning it on?
0: I think we've got a thumbs up for turning it on and listening to the the furnace roar. Yeah, we can listen to
5: it roar and the heat coming off it is incredible.
0: So is that a
3: massive kitchen extractor that they've just turned on?
0: A bit hotter than a kitchen stove though. You can't get away just with a a normal apron. You've got to wear a full-on reflective uh, spaceman coat. So we're wearing Kevlar, which is like a fireman suit to reflect
5: the heat away. I get as close as about half a metre when we pull the crucible out and it's glowing white hot and it's burning through the Kevlar. You sort of feel like you're getting a sunburn, a really bad sunburn, even through all this protection. It's really hot.
3: And you've got a helmet on, you've got ear protection, you've got a a visor.
5: Yeah, the sound coming from the furnace is quite intense. Your whole chest shakes once it starts cavitating. Okay, so what steps do you have to do now? So we turn the gas on we do a safety purge purge all the air out of the room or recycle the air in the room then the um, you can you can hear maybe now that high pitch sound as the, the air blower starting up then oh yeah I can just hear it it sounds like crickets in the background mm. and then after a couple of minutes when the control is ready it'll try and ignite the boiler and you might hear a sort of a bang and then the roaring will start so
3: you both watched the trial pause before.
2: Yep, yep. Yeah, I definitely uh, wouldn't want to miss it. <laughs> Highlight of the week.
3: <laughs> Once you've done a number of runs of this, you've got some data, you've put it into your model, what's that going to enable you to do?
2: Eventually it's going to enable us to tell something about the, the rheology. So like I was mentioning before, the rheology is, is a measure of how, how the fluid flows basically. and simple fluids are what's called newtonian fluids so they they kind of respond uh, linearly to uh, loads that you apply on them lava is a bit more complicated than this it's a, it's a non newtonian fluid so it uh, it responds in a non linear fashion and also the rheology or its it's kind of its viscosity in a way is also uh, related to the temperature and the composition so in terms of modeling it's quite a complex exercise in the first place and then in terms of making the model match the observation that's uh, an additional level of uh, complexity so in the end we are we are hoping to understand the material properties of lava uh, better.
0: Can
3: you give me an example of something that's non-Newtonian in the way it flows?
2: For example uh, toothpaste that you would put on your toothbrush every morning is a non-Newtonian fluid a very non-Newtonian fluid because if you put toothpaste on a Uh, On an inclined plane, it will not flow by itself. You need to apply a minimum load to have it flow, basically. And uh, unless you apply this minimum load, it will just stay put and not not go anywhere. So this is an example of a very uh, non-Newtonian fluid.
3: How's it going to help you as a geologist or as a volcanologist understand potentially where lava might go? Is it going to be able to help you predict things better?
0: Uh, We hope so. So we have another team member who's not here, so Dr. Elise Rumpf from the USGS. So she was involved, if you saw on the news over the last year, these very spectacular lava flows in Hawaii. So she's been involved in, in the USGS response over there and has a whole bunch of aerial images from drones and helicopters. So we have some measurements from real lava flows and we have paths where these lava flows ended up. So what we hope to do is to then basically test the numbers that Mathieu can produce, put them into the models and see if they can predict where lava may or may not go under different conditions.
3: How important is the topography? So if a volcano is erupting, the lava is pouring out, is it always going to pour down the valley?
0: Um, Well, lava does obey the laws of gravity, fortunately for us, so it, it does flow downhill, but because our lava is cooling and forming rock, it's creating its own topography as it flows so it's cooling down and it's changing slopes as it cools it also has, just like a river, it has the ability to overflow its banks and one really special thing about lava is it can flow in tubes so some of the listeners may have been out to Rangitoto or seen kind of lava caves or lava tubes which are very common on lava flow fields so lava can insulate itself and flow along tubes and then it's really Hard to predict where where it's going.
3: That was certainly the case in Hawaii, wasn't it?
0: In Hawaii, part of the problem was it was erupting, starting off in places they didn't predict. So in Hawaii, there was a moving vent. So the place where it was leaking out was was changing during the eruption. So that's a whole another level of complexity. So you've got to you'd have to be running real time models with new sources all the time in different topography to try and predict where and the the stickiness of the lava is changing as well so when it's erupting over here it might have a certain viscosity and then over here it might be more runny. So there's all these changing parameters.
3: Gosh, I've come over to where you are and um, it's very loud and it's, you can actually feel it is shaking. We're about
6: three metres from the furnace and in the short time that it's been going it's already at just about 600 degrees Celsius. We've got a target temperature of 1,350 degrees Celsius. You can smell a little bit of burning. That's the cardboard we put under the um, crucible. Otherwise the crucible will melt and stick to the bottom of the furnace and we won't be able to get it out. If we have a look inside now, what we would see is the, the air inside the furnace is rotating really fast and it'll start picking up grains of the powdered obsidian and sort of rotate them around in a vortex. It'll take quite a while before that settles down and they start to melt. We won't really see any melting until about 1,200 degrees. And then by 1,280 degrees it should be fully melted. So in those flows in Hawaii we're going for months. And you can imagine how much lava was coming out of those, how much heat it would take to melt that much rock and to push it all the way out of the volcano.
3: Okay, I think I've got enough enough loud noise now. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Nothing compares to the power of a real volcano, but this is pretty much as close as you can get. Eventually, I think
2: the very exciting part of the project will be when we're actually taking footage of a real volcano and try to and try to apply those models to the, to the full-scale volcano and uh, learning um, in situ how lava behaves. So I think that's um, something which we're looking forward to. Yeah.
3: Thanks, Mathieu. That was Mathieu Sellier, a mechanical engineering professor at the University of Canterbury. We also heard from volcanologist Ben Kennedy, head of the School of Fine Arts Aaron Chrysler. And PhD student and experimental volcanologist Dale Kusak. Ketafakarongamaiquitato hōtaka Epanaki te o te Tayora. I'm Alison Balance and you're with our changing world on RNZ. Ben Kennedy says that while you can learn a lot from lava and the way it behaves at the surface, the final frontier of the Earth's crust is magma, and it turns out that we know extremely little about magma. Ben would like New Zealand to be part of an international project to drill into the magma chamber of the Krafler caldera in Iceland. The idea to drill into an active volcano and establish an international magma observatory is the brainchild of John Eichelberger. He's an emeritus professor at the University of Alaska Fairbanks in the United States, he was in the country recently to talk with Ben and other geologists.
1: I'm completely dedicated to trying to get magma drilling going in Iceland.
3: So what you're wanting to do is drill into the magma chamber of a volcano. Yes. Has it been done before?
1: It's
0: been done only by accident. They were drilling down, they were actually trying to get um, supercritical steam and then Suddenly the drill was going down the hole and then at a point the drill bit started to come back up the hill. (laughs) The magma was rising up the hole and pushing back. Yeah,
1: But you, you want to do it deliberately? We want to do it deliberately and in a planned way so that we can make scientific observations and then keep it open for scientific studies after the drilling is complete.
3: Ben, can you just tell me about a magma chamber under a volcano? Like, describe it to me. I
0: mean, the amazing thing is that, as scientists, we don't actually know what a magma chamber under a volcano looks like, and that is one of the big um, targets for for this project. Some people imagine a kind of... Giant balloon filled of um, filled of liquid rock. Other people imagine a series of cracks with you know lots and lots of cracks all filled in with small amounts of magma. So we don't really know what it looks like. People try to use geophysics, so you know, from making measurements at the surface to try and image what's under underground. And you know, you can use the analogy of a of a doctor trying to diagnose a patient by you know measuring his temperature on his forehead and trying to find out something about a disease that's going on inside Um, and I guess John's vision is that you know maybe if you keep the doctor analogy you know now you can do kind of keyhole monitoring or keyhole surgery and have a look at actually what is it it like inside a volcano.
1: As Ben said it's, it's incredible and embarrassing how little we know about these systems it's like oil and gas 200 years ago before people had ever drilled a an oil and gas reservoir and just looked at seeps with oil coming out of the ground or like meteorology if you never put weather balloons or airplanes up and measured conditions in the atmosphere. Magma is the goal for the bottom of the hole but The real thing is understanding the transition zone from the hydrothermal or geothermal system to molten rock. All we know is that there's an extremely steep temperature gradient between the bottom of the hydrothermal system and the top of the magma, and that that distance is very short. How short? 10 or 20 metres. What's the temperature differential you're talking about? 500 degrees Celsius at the bottom of the hydrothermal system and somewhere around 900 Celsius in the magma. So that's roughly 20 degrees per metre. And that's another thing we want to figure out is how to get the energy out of the magma because that is really the source of the energy in these hydrothermal systems so the two big payoffs are going to be monitoring volcanoes better and maybe a factor of 10 improvement in geothermal energy
3: this begs the question if you Mm -hmm. drill into a magma chamber is it like Mm -hmm. taking the cork out of a champagne bottle are you going to unleash merry hell
1: it's a very valid question The fact is that this has been done many times, it was totally unexpected, and yet everything was fine. It's probably like uh, poking an elephant with a pin. It it probably won't notice.
3: (laughs) What is it about magma that fascinates you?
1: For one thing, volcanoes are fun, but I guess to be more formal and scientific it is the way the earth has evolved a lot of geology is very slow moving but uh, this stuff we're talking about processes that go down to microseconds that span from microseconds to millions of years so it's just a fascinating system The most extreme environment of Earth's crust about which we know nothing it's it's like landing on the far side of the moon going someplace nobody's ever really probed before.
3: Thanks John. That was John Eichelberger from the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Closer to home, Ben Kennedy has been exploring the idea of drilling into a volcano in the classroom he got funding for a high-tech game called Magma Drillers Save Planet Earth from the Unlocking Curious Minds Fund. The fund, managed by the Ministry for Business, Innovation and Employment, supports projects that excite and engage New Zealanders who have fewer opportunities to experience and connect with science and technology. I asked Ben about the game.
0: Curious Minds has funded us to use this concept um, to excite uh, New Zealand school kids and university students about science and engineering. So we've designed a series of virtual field trips so we worked together with Learns and we had a virtual field trip that we took 4,000 students virtually out to Iceland but we've built on that with the Curious Minds project and we've made a very fun role play game where um, students are encouraged to play the roles of a volcanologist or an environmental risk manager and we've made a nice fun storyline and kind of one set in the in the 70s and one set in a kind of post-apocalyptic future and the, the challenge to the kids is to save planet earth by drilling into a magma chamber and generating cheap efficient energy in a safe and yeah entertaining way
3: so they role play the pros and cons of it basically
0: their job is to decide where to drill so they have to work together each person has a different piece of the puzzle and they have to choose where to drill. And um, in some of the scenarios, if they drill too deep or in the wrong place, they can start an eruption and, and, you know, this is not good. And then, you know, if they get the drilling depth just right and the right type of precautions they take, then you have a safe and happy magma thermal energy production.
3: Thanks, Ben. That was Canterbury University volcanologist Ben Kennedy. I'm Alison Balance and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 25th of April 2019. To listen again or check out photos, just head to our webpage rnz.co.nz slash world I'll also post links to other Hour Changing World interviews with Ben. How about his cannon and trebuchet to test volcanic ballistics? Then there's the Ash Lab featuring fellow University of Canterbury geologist, Thomas Wilson. We are a free podcast in all the usual places, where you'll also find my other podcasts. The Kākāpō Files is following along with the longest Kākāpō breeding season in recorded history. The chemistry podcast Elemental, celebrating 150 years of the periodic table of elements, is up to cerium. You can find both these series on the podcasts page at rnz.co.nz. And I'm posting all of them on the Our Changing World webpage as well. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Bye for now. Matewa.